Welcome to Harlow on Healthcare. I'm David Harlow, and I invite you to join me by my virtual hearth as I sit down with healthcare leaders to discuss building the future of healthcare. Today, my guest is Josh Rubel, Chief Commercial Officer for MD Clone, who will be with us today to discuss issues around struggling to gain access to the valuable data that we generate and collect in healthcare and ways to get around that, the uses for that data, how we collect it, how we might collect it in the future, and how we can use it. Because clinicians, of course, need to get their hands on data in order to deliver patient care and promote change. Josh, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, David. It's a pleasure to be here. So in addition to our shared passion regarding health IT and tools that we can use to improve healthcare, I note that we also share earlier passions in life around history. I understand you studied history in poli-sci. I studied history and literature. And I wonder if you can tell me a little bit about the tortured path from history to MD clone. Wow, I am excited to bridge those two topics. In fact, I think about it all the time, and I would be remiss to to not thank you for actually asking a wonderful question. What a great way to start. So the, the things you learn in a classroom around history and around political science often revolve around systems, you know, how people and how institutions behave. You start with incentive structures, maybe you start with objectives. You try to understand what has happened. You're looking at history, what's happened in the past, often through the lens of those objectives and or systemic analyses. And I find that there's a ton of similarity between that sort of analysis and also trying to think about what might be happening in healthcare and how either technology or new process or new capability can create change. So many of the tools I learned in the classroom, I find myself using every day in, in a professional setting, despite maybe the lack of a perfect connection or maybe an obvious connection, David, as you point out. So anyway, maybe not obvious at the surface, but I appreciate the way you've drawn the connection there. Yeah. Great. So tell us a little bit more about what you're doing now about MD clone. Sure. So as you shared, I'm the chief commercial officer at MD clone. We're an Israeli based company and really we're a health technology company focused on data and healthcare. And as you alluded to earlier in, in your introduction, data, is really important for providers as they make decisions with individual patients. And I'd say even more importantly around how they protocol around population, population health, and also how they treat certain diseases inside of their healthcare institutions. Data is pivotal in getting to better, smarter, and faster because almost all healthcare provider decision-making is data-driven, defining kind of what works um, and what may not work in terms of process improvement. And so our business is set up to make that process that providers live and breathe today in, ter- in terms of how they use data to understand disease or understand a population and really accelerate that process by making the data more ubiquitous and more analyzable and a much faster, a much faster method. Uh, and so that's what MD Clone's all about. Again, we're based in Israel and we have customers in Israel and Canada and the United States. Uh, and I'm happy to talk about any and all of the, uh, the topics shared. Great. Data is certainly ubiquitous, and we're certainly swimming in it and sometimes drowning in it. And the challenge, of course, is to move from 
data to information to knowledge, right? Data alone isn't going to solve our problems. So how, where are you and where is your company involved in that evolution or the journey that the data must travel to be useful? Yep. So the journey starts with organizations and people who have interesting needs and interesting questions that they need to answer around improving performance or improving quality or improving economic activity. And you're right, data is, is a fundamental building block, but it's not the goal. The goal is those organizations want to use data to find an insight, turn it into knowledge, and then activate their staff with that knowledge or activate the world with that knowledge to perform better, do something better. That is the path they take. The challenge that most healthcare organizations have is that the, the data, as you say, is enough to potentially drown. We agree. And finding a signal in that noise is difficult. In fact, empowering more staff to engage in data extraction and analysis work is also a major challenge. And the role that we fulfill is we create a way for line clinicians, nurses, service line leaders, even executives to have a direct dialogue with the data that their organizations churn out every day, all day by taking care of patients to find those insights much faster without having to go through a complicated process of, kind of analyst-driven data extraction and data science. We bring the ability to go find an insight much closer to the organizational resources who are actually providing care. Um, and, the re and the value proposition, the reason we do that is there are many more of them than there are of the analyst class out there. So what we want is more knowledge projects. We want more volume and value of those sorts of projects. And we believe the way to get there is to enable more staff to actually engage in those projects. And that's the real mission of MD Club. So at the risk of losing the thread, because I'm not a technical guy, I'm wondering if you could give a little bit of a more concrete explanation or example of how you do that. Sounds great, but how does that actually work? You bet. So the process to get more happening at the edge, again, think about a department or a line physician or a nurse. Today, the healthcare data that you rightly said folks are swimming in, we organize all of that data inside of an institution. We organize it longitudinally. The uh, traditional way of organizing that data are in tables. Think about a medication table or a lab table. And you'd organize lab results over, over time in a table, but it would just be lab data. What we do is break that structure. And instead of saying we're organizing lab results, we say we're organizing all data for patients. And we organize those data as events in a patient's timeline. What that enables is a very simple GUI tool, a user interface, where clinicians don't have to know anything about where data is stored. They don't need to know anything about the technical underpinning. They simply can ask questions like, MD clone, I'd like to understand all, I'd like to understand these features, for instance, height, weight, and, and temperature. And if a patient had been seen in the last two weeks by a certain provider for all of my ED visits that came in, because I believe there's a correlation between something that may have happened inside of a, another physician practice that's driving up ED utilization. That sort of question that I just asked, and the reason why I asked it, can be very easily entered into MD clone using a UI. It requires no SQL programming, no technical background. 
uh, and that uh, data and then the analysis that you could perform to determine if there was, in fact, correlation between the, that location and my EDF tech would be very simply placed in front of who in front of whoever was asking that question. That's how we that's how we get more happening at the node or at the satellite by making it very simple to ask and then analyze data on the fly. So what I hear you saying is that you've devised an organizational tool, an organizational system and made it easy to interrogate. And I guess I'm wondering is, are there other layers that can be built here or that are built that you've rolled out in, in some locations that might pre-organize the data a little bit or pre-ask the questions that might be expected? Say if somebody's walking into a specialty X clinic for a follow-up visit, you know, there'd be your typical things that you'd like to know. What happened at the last visit? What did the lab tests look like? Can, do you pre-populate that for a clinician in any way? We do at the use case level. There are usual suspects, as you point out, around certain disease states, for example, if a patient who presents with diabetes, there are global standards that provider organizations can use and should use to increase the probability of good outcomes for a diabetic population. You bet those are built into the platform to allow for very easy access to understand if providers are in fact practicing up to that standard. And if there are patients who maybe are below one or two of the elements in that standard, how to organize them to get them into a care management workflow so we can get them back up to the right standard. Those sorts of capabilities are, are inside the platform. And I would say that where things get really interesting in terms of being data-driven in healthcare, while those standards are globally accepted, generally globally accepted, there are always novel questions that people want to ask that are specific to the populations they're serving. So in the case of diabetes, perhaps it's one of the measures is making sure you have an A1C test for every diabetic patient within a three-month period. Perhaps you've got another question around that test, a novel question, like, ah, where was it performed? Was it performed in a mobile laboratory or was it performed in a stationary lab? And did I see any difference in blood sugar between those two settings that may impact how we want to care for patients in the future? We get really powerful when you want to ask that follow-up question. And David, in our experience, there's always a follow-up. It's never cut and dry. Yeah. And she used the diabetes care management as an example, and that's one of those recurring theme type examples because there's a concrete and limited set of data points that people are really interested in for that disease state. How does this translate to other disease states? Can you give me another couple examples? Sure. In implementations that we have in the United States, places like the VA are using us to understand efficacy of telehealth visit, video health call versus non-video telehealth, for example. Also, novel use case in that the VA is very interested in those results. As you may imagine, a lot of interest in, in reducing cost of care and also increasing access and perhaps telephonic care is a, is a way through that. And you want to always gauge efficacy. That's an interesting study that the VA has published on. Other customers like Intermountain Healthcare use us really across their enterprise all the way from perioperative to primary care to genomics. We've got use cases stood up where Intermountain staff, operational staff are leveraging MD clone to understand both efficacy, but also throughput and, and even cost questions in terms of supply cost to understand how to best deliver care and also best drive margin to be able to deliver on the mission. A great Intermountain use case is, is around pulmonary embolism and, you know, what they found with the with retrospective analysis of their own data around when patients present in an ED 
with a blood clot and embolism, what's the right course of action depending on a series of factors? And there are three kind of industry understood ways to treat. You, you can use a device, you can use medication, or you can perform surgery. And there's a real question in front of providers. Well, what should I do for this patient? And they've leveraged MD-Clone as an operating tool to help guide their, their thinking around what to do as patients present. I think that's a great example of the power of retrospective data and how it impacts patients. If you're just tuning in, this is Harlow on Healthcare coming to you on Healthcare Now Radio. I'm David Harlow, and my guest today is Josh Rubel, Chief Commercial Officer for MD Clone. Josh, we've talked thus far about patient data and manipulating, massaging, and extracting some meaning from patient data, whether for a particular patient or for a cohort of patients. I know that your company is also involved in work around synthetic data. So I would ask that you first define for us, when you say synthetic data, what do you mean? And then uh, talk a little bit about why we would want it and how we use it. Sure. And I think that we've been chatting about the utility, how you could make use of more liquid, more ubiquitous healthcare data from an analysis standpoint. I think one of the challenges associated with leveraging healthcare data inside a healthcare institution, but then also with the wider world of potential knowledge workers who are focused on healthcare, think life science, think policymaker, think health plan. One of the challenges with leveraging that data is the necessary and good privacy provisions that are in place really around the world to make sure that patient privacy is never compromised when using that data to to find answers and to find insights. And that patient privacy building block is really sacrosanct and part of the relationship between the healthcare provider and the patient. So it's necessary, it's important that the privacy provisions that are in place are, are enforced. And from our perspective, there's an opportunity to leverage technology to find a way to ease through some of the regulatory requirements that are put on real patient data. David, you asked, what is synthetic data? Well, in the MD clone world, we generate as part of any analysis we generate data sets. If you're allowed to see those data sets as real humans, so if you're allowed to see actual real patient information, you're able to inside of our platform. And we have a unique capability that on demand, we can generate an alternative data set that tells the same story as the original data, tells the same story as the real patient data, but includes no real patient information. Instead, it is a fictional data set whose shape and contours mimic the original data set but, in, but it includes no real patient information. It is entirely populated by fictional, by fictional humans or patients. Let me just describe it in an example. I think you'll really understand it if I give you a brief example of what the data may look like. So if in my original data set, I'm looking at a population of, say, 1,000 diabetic patients, and I've pulled features that I'm interested in, like their height and their weight, and perhaps which provider they've seen or if they've seen a provider in the last year and a specific score of their, of their blood sugar. Uh, and perhaps, again, there are a thousand of those patients, and that's what my data set looks like. And, I, and in the original format, there are a thousand of them. By creating a synthetic data set, perhaps I'll create a data set that looks like it includes 1,010 patients. And the correlation between all of the columns, height, weight, age, what that blood sugar was, will match the correlation on the columns of the original data. But there will not be a one-to-one relationship between any of the fake patients that I created in my synthetic set to any of the original patients. The reason why that's valuable and useful is you can make scientific studies and insights. You can find insights, discover 
whatever it is that you would discover on the original data, you can also discover on the synthetic data. And if there's no patient information in it, now there aren't any regulatory hurdles. There's nothing to protect. That synthetic data set is, is entirely peopled with, uh, with fictional humans. Does that make sense, David? It does. Yeah. So this is, this is an issue that's near and dear to my heart because my, in my day job, I'm the chief privacy, chief compliance and privacy officer of, of a medical device company with a global footprint. Significant issue for me in my day job. And it seems like a valuable tool in order to be able to work in this sphere. I'm wondering whether the synthesizing of the data is done at the individual cell cell level, so to speak. Are we perturbing individual numbers and they all stay within a certain range? Or you talked about staying within a certain relationship to other parameters. Wondering, without giving away the store, just a little bit more information about how that actually works. Yeah, you've hit one of the differentiators for us. If you're synthesizing something that's supposed to look a certain way, when you create that synthetic model, it really needs to look that certain way. And that includes the ranges inside of each of each feature that you've pulled. A, a great example is, can you have pregnant males or if you're looking at something related to pregnancy? And the right. answer is, you have to understand each feature enough so that you don't go outside of the range. And yes, the technology supports that. Yeah. In the case of blood sugar monitoring, there's an expected range that you're not expecting to fall into the negatives, for example. The technology is smart enough to understand what that range is, to not plot anything in the wrong place. Yeah. Great question. And so is this, is this, so this would be used then perhaps in research or perhaps in levels of the organization that shouldn't necessarily have access to real patient data. But again, as you said, you can flip a switch and clinicians who need to see actual data get to see actual data. Exactly. So in the case of, let's say, a third-party blood sugar monitoring company that's got a medical device is interested in understanding what, how time of day impacts blood sugar across patients, and they believe that's relevant around what their, the next development of their device looks like, they could contract with an MD clone customer get access to real-world evidence from that customer to understand the fluctuations of blood sugar and only see data in synthetic. And let's say they find that there's something of interest around clinical practice. For instance, hey, it turns out for children, if it's type 1 diabetes for children under the age of eight, one device actually works significantly better in the afternoon than another device, and that's a new insight that you have. Um, as you say, literally with one click of a button, the provider organization who's managing the diabetes one population can review that same data, agree with it or disagree with it. If they agree with it, they can immediately engage with the patients who may be better served by a new device or a different device. That entire flow is made possible inside of the platform. And only the people who are allowed to see the original data get access to that original data, but the insight itself is, is ubiquitous. It, it flows along the continuum. Okay. So, Josh, I would ask if you have seen over the past several years a difference in the ways in which folks are trying to use your tools as we've gone through different stages of the pandemic. Has this had an effect on the way health system customers are using the tools? 
I think we have. I think originally our thesis on how and where the platform would be used was very much centered on the question you just asked, which was around research and potentially even third-party access to retrospective data. Our starting point relative to the technology was really putting those sorts of real-world evidence, kind of science and research hats on and making the platform available to those sorts of users. I think what we've seen is there's a real desire and hunger to get to the operational questions. And three, four years ago, the vast majority of the users of MD Clone, again, around the world, were asking research questions. I would say today that's flipped. And while the questions they're asking and some of the insights that they get certainly can be applicable to research. Of course, my pulmonary embolism example is, was presented in a paper last weekend. And the use of the tools then moving into, okay, now the interventional radiologists have a new standard of care. And now they're performing, whether it's surgery or medication or the ablation for the blood clots by leveraging insights that came out of the platform. That was, I wouldn't call it a surprise to us, but the hunger and desire for it was I don't think we appreciated three years ago. I think today we see it in a big way and we see the kind of requirement for methodology, again, to get more of the question asking and the insight development out to those departments. They want to do better for their patients and they're hungry for this sort of capability. We see that as really the story of 22 and 23. And to your point around the pandemic, I think a lot of the what the pandemic showed healthcare providers, but also the lay public, is that there's a ton of opportunity for analytics to go find insight. There are a lot of positives that came out of the pandemic, but the data literacy, I think, increased in our population around understanding healthcare. I think it increased inside the healthcare provider population as well. Data literacy on actually finding insight increased. And I think that's a that, that portends well. I think that's a good guy for the future of medicine because, again, we need more insights to come. And if more people can have them, that should increase the volume. Yeah, we all became practicing epidemiologists, right? <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Josh, to wrap things up, I would ask you, if you were to wake up tomorrow and find yourself five years in the future, what's one thing in healthcare that you would hope or maybe expect to find has changed drastically. The old saying is that something about death and taxes, right? We all experience those. I think it's death, healthcare, and taxes, I think is the new, maybe the new normals. We all experience the healthcare system. Many of us have children or siblings and parents, of course. So this is personal, right? This impacts the healthcare delivery system as a service, impacts really everyone on planet. And what I want to see is I want to see faster innovation. I want to see health systems that are able to move, understand evidence, their own evidence or other people, other organizations' evidence and move faster to take care of patients. And it's amazing. I, I think I think the average cycle time, this was as of 2019, cycle time from when something is discovered to when it becomes part of standard practice in medicine is something like 17 years. You know, we want to, MD Clone wants to see, but I personally, for my parents, for my kids, I want to see that cycle time shrink to one year, maybe two years, because each of those innovations means another wedding a grandmother can attend, another ball game a grandfather can attend. It really matters what, you know, whether the disease state is around CKD or diabetes or mental health or pick your disease state. If there can be better, faster, smarter care out there, we're going to impact the world in a, in a big way. And five years from now, I, my hope is we're tightening the timelines to get those innovations out to the market. Stay tuned. Thank you for joining me today. My pleasure. It was fun, David. You have been listening to Harlow on Healthcare. Join us at healthcarenowradio.com. Let's continue the conversation 
on building the future of healthcare together at hashtag Harlow on HC. I'm David Harlow, keeping the fire going and holding a seat open for you until next time.